Blog Talk Radio. Program 657 That's 657-383-0491. Our guest today, Dr. Edward Dreyfus. He's a Los Angeles-based psychologist, and uh, he's a guy that uh, is all about getting a second chance to make a first impression. Now, he says that he's been making first, second, and even third impressions for many, many decades, and he's just getting warmed up. He's a clinical psychologist, a sex therapist, life coach, and an author of many books who, if, if I got this right, actually holds a black belt in karate, so I'd best be on my best behavior today. Dr. Ed Dreyfus, thanks for being a part of the program today. My pleasure. Nice to be here. So you say it's never too late to be who you might have been, and uh, I think that's a a line from George Eliot. Uh, what, what do you think he meant by that, and what does that mean to you? It seems to me that a lot of people take a path in life that they didn't really mm, intend to, um, but they ended up falling into a position, and sometimes they take that position, a job, that career, that career path that they weren't exactly thrilled with, but there they are. And they think it's too late to do something different. Well, my experience dictates otherwise. It says that, you know, many times we can have a second shot at beginning all over again. I've known people, I have a friend of mine, for example, who at the age of 65 got his Ph.D. in urban planning at UCLA. Uh, and he started an entirely new career at that point. I've known people, met people in my life who at age of 50, after first career, starting a second or even a third career, in my case, You know, I've been a psychologist. I was fortunate in finding a career early on in life and did it for 50, 55 years. Um, But I've always wanted to be a writer as well. And I've had a storehouse of material in my uh, filing cabinet. And finally, I decided, you know, it's time for me to put on a different hat. In fact, I wear a hat when when I'm writing. It's called a writer. So my kids all know and my grandkids, when I'm doing, have the hat on, I am working, even though I'm sitting in front of my computer. And at the age of 75, I published my first novel. So it's never too late. It's just a matter of uh, what I believe is age is something on the calendar. Youthfulness is a state of mind. And we can take direction, a new direction at any point along the way if we have a will to do so. 
Dr. Ed Dreyfus, our guest today, and I'm actually looking at the back of your book, The Midnight Shrink, and I see your writer baseball cap on. I want to talk to you about the books, but I also want to talk to you about uh, mental health stuff. Uh, if you're listening to the show live today on the Blog Talk Radio Network, uh, yesterday, October 10th, was World Mental Health, where they really try to address the stigma associated with mental health. And I, I wonder what your thoughts are on that stigma. Is, it, uh, is this something that's getting better, is it getting worse, that people are recognizing that, that mental health is, is not uh, so much in the shadows anymore? I think it really depends on what part of the country you live in. The, the two coasts, the East Coast and the West Coast, the people there seem to make going into psychotherapy, going into psychoanalysis as part of their daily life. Um, people in more rural areas and in smaller towns and sometimes in the, in the middle areas of our country, they are less comfortable in sharing with others that they have a problem. Men in particular historically have had a difficult, had a difficult time acknowledging they may have some difficulty. That, I believe, is changing. And I think it largely is changing as a function of uh, social media, that people are hearing more and more and more ab about mental health and how people can be helped by going to seeking help, the help of a professional. In fact, I was just reading an article just this morning on how blogging uh, uh, or vlogging with a V, video blogging, has become um, so popular of late where people are actually, who are experiencing mental health issues, are actually talking about their issues and making it more public so more and more people, as they listen to this, they can go um, and get the help that they so, so need. We all have uh, emotional or psychological issues. Um, I don't know of anyone who doesn't. And all physical issues come along with a psychological component. You think about how people react to any kind of physical disability or inability to do that which they used to be able to do because of an injury, because of a heart attack, because of something that has happened to them. They have all kinds of emotional issues that go along with it. And there are mental health professionals who can help with that as well. Dr. Ed Dreyfus, our guest today, you can visit him online at edwarddreyfus.net or DreyfusBooks.net. His latest book is The Midnight Shrink. He's written a bunch of them, both for his practice and also some uh, some pretty cool psychological thrillers based on his background. Uh, we're talking about mental health the day after World Mental Health Day, October 10th. If you're listening live, if you're listening to the podcast, thanks for being a part of the show. And if you'd like to be a part of the program, the number to call is 657-383-0491, 657-383-0491. Uh, there's much debate in the mental health world, Dr. Dreyfus, about medications. Are we, are we over-medicating America, especially when it comes to children and the elderly? And as somebody that's done this for a living for many, many years, well, what are your thoughts on, on medication's role in mental health? I think that for certain illnesses, certain, uh, I shouldn't say illnesses, although that's probably true too, for certain mental health issues, uh, medication can be very helpful, um, but it should be used advisedly and only as a support to be able to help the individual be able to seek the interactive help that they need with a, with a professional. It's, medication 
in my opinion, should not be used by, it, uh, by itself as the, an end-all. Although there are some mental health issues, schizophrenia, severe depressions, and so on, where that is an, uh, necessary, medication is necessary, because in large measure, we found that it has to do with uh, brain chemistry, and the brain chemistry has to be altered, but the behavioral part needs to be dealt with as well. You know, in other words, if somebody has a major depression and they can't function, they get medication which can help them function, but they need someone to maybe work with them to develop strategies for coping more effectively and adapting more effectively to their, prop, their issue or the depression or schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or manic depressive disorder. Some of these are, are chemically based. There are many other issues, high anxiety, which can be controlled to some extent through medication, but in conjunction with the proverbial talk therapies. Uh, panic disorders, for example. Sometimes you can't talk to somebody or, they're not, or the person is not able to communicate because their anxiety levels are so high that they need to have medication to help them bring down the anxiety, but as I said earlier, not as an end-all but as a part of the process, part of the healing process and learning how to cope more effectively with one's environment. Have you seen in, in your practice, and Dr. Edward Dreyfus, psychologist based in Los Angeles, our guest today, have you seen in your practice um, as you deal with patients down through the years an increase in uh, medications being prescribed for, for young people, especially young boys, to to sort of get them, uh, quote-unquote, a little more calm in school, for example, and also an increase in, in prescribing of medications to the elderly. Have you seen an uptick in that? And, and if so, is that a good or a bad thing? Well, you know, the pro one of the problems with respect to this deal, first of all, with young people, you know, ADHD or ADD, uh, attention deficit disorder, attention deficit hyperactive disorder, um, has been diagnosed quite frequently and quite frequently diagnosed inappropriately. What we want to do is we have kids in school, like the teachers in large classrooms, they want to have a calm classroom. And sometimes the kids who are hyperenergetic, who are very energetic, they are disruptive. And they don't, the classroom teacher doesn't have the opportunity, especially in inner cities, to work individually with these young people. So they get them medicated so they be, are more calm. I don't think that's an, an appropriate way to go. But I want to be clear. I want to be clear to your listeners that as a psychologist, I do not prescribe. I am, a, that's in the province of the uh, medical practitioner, the MDs. I'm a PhD in psychology. I deal with the behavioral component. So when it comes to medications, I refer to a psychiatrist or a physician in general, they do the prescription. And I would might consult with them, but that diagnosis of whether medication is necessary is primarily the role of the physician, not of the psychologist. That being said, too many times we medicate both young people and the elderly prematurely because we don't have the mental health resources to be able to engage in a more protracted form of treatment, which is required in a psychotherapeutic context. And the psychotherapy is not an overnight instant cure. Medication can have 
an, an effect within, oh, say, four to six weeks when the medication finally kicks in, but it's only palliative. It's short-term. It, it can ca- calm a person down, but it doesn't deal with some of the underlying issues that may be masked by the medication. Fair enough. Ed Dreyfus is our guest today, clinical psychologist based in Los Angeles, uh, and the author of many books, and you can find out more about him at dreyfusbooks.net. And here's a little bit to talk about. Uh, the book that perhaps is one of the ones that, that has gotten the most interest for you. It's a great uh, premise as it ties into your background a little bit. The book is called The Midnight Shrink, and it's about a, a psychologist who practices out of his van on Skid Row um, and a serial killer that, that he encounters there. And, and since this book has come out, you've gotten some interest from Hollywood. Well, again, if you're listening to the show live uh, this week on the Blog Talk Radio Network, one of the biggest stories in America is uh, the Harvey Weinstein story, which uh, appears to detail decades and decades of just abhorrent behavior, sexual harassment and, and allegations of rape from, you know, dozens of very well-known women. And that probably means, uh, you know, dozens more that, that are names that we don't know about. As somebody who lives in Los Angeles, you're around that industry a lot. Did this story surprise you? Not at all. Not at all. Um, I don't know Mr. Weinstein at all. I don't know anything about him other than that he's been a, a world-class producer in, in Hollywood. But power corrupts often. People with power, people who engage in HUD, who are in uh, certain positions of power where women are subordinate, they often take uh, advantage of their situation. Uh, been known in Hollywood in particular, they call it the casting couch, where uh, casting directors would promote uh, their starlets, uh, depending on what kind of sexual favors uh, they would offer them. Uh, they would take advantage of their positions. So uh, that, that issue has been epidemic uh, in Hollywood for as far back as I can remember, uh, people talking about things like that. Uh, but oftentimes, as we've seen with Bill Riley, um, O'Reilly on uh, Fox Network, Ayers, and others, and even our uh, president, you know, they've all been accused, and Bill Cosby, of taking advantage of their positions of power when it comes to dealing with women. So Harvey Weinstein, being as big as he is and as flamboyant as he has, has been, uh, it's not surprising, not at all. Clearly, there has to be a mental health component, though, for a guy like that to do that. I mean, that that has to be a sickness, you know, not to mention the the lifelong damage that it leaves in its wake with all of these women and, and those that they interact, I mean, interact with. That's just a, a horrible mess all the way around. Absolutely, absolutely. The damage done to women uh, historically, I mean, take a look at what's happened with women throughout Time where women have been subordinated, they've been put in, patronized, uh, misogyny is legion, With men beating women, hitting women, uh, domestic violence is, uh, is another epidemic in our society. It happens in all cultures where, where women are perceived as sexual objects to be exploited, to be used, to be demeaned. Um, that, that's a, 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 real, a major problem in our society. And 
you know, it's mostly uh, an issue of, in my opinion, of attitudes about women that, that are part of our culture. Um, remember, it wasn't too long ago that women couldn't vote. Um, so you know, this is, this is a, an ongoing issue. It has not gone away. The feminist movement and the, has, has made tremendous strides, but the same thing is in other areas of civil rights where you have the uh, black power, black movement. You know, racism still exists. Misogyny still exists. And it's got to be ferreted out. We've got to be constantly conscious about it because the effects on people in terms of their self-worth and feelings of something's wrong with me, uh, how many women who are raped actually end up saying it must have been my fault, I must have deserved it, it's me. It's never the woman's fault under any circumstances that no one can blame a woman for when somebody uses power to exploit, hurt, rape, or demand something of her that she's not willing to give. I don't care what the circumstances are. And so the feminism has tried to help women empower themselves and to speak out. We see now in Hollywood, only recently are, the, are these uh, stars coming out saying that they were molested. So even powerful women, powerful women, uh, have been inhibited about saying anything because of everybody's going to be looking at them as what did you do to deserve it? And so they are afraid to speak out. And now they're being more forthcoming. Gloria Allred, uh, the lawyer for uh, many of these women, has, is an outspoken feminist, as is her, her daughter, uh, Lisa Bloom. And they've been both, you know, advocates for women's rights and women to have a voice. And uh, Hollywood is notorious for exploitation of women. Sex therapist, clinical psychologist uh, based in Los Angeles, Dr. Edward Dreyfus, our guest today. He's the author of the book The Midnight Shrink as well as many others, and you can find him online at dreyfusbooks.net and edwarddreyfus.net. Uh, you mentioned earlier the, the president, and there was an article that just came out today in salon.com that uh, the premise of the article is that the president's mental health uh, poses a real and significant danger um, uh, to Americans and, and indeed people around the world. Clearly, you haven't treated the president, but taking that that uh, you know hundred yard view, is there a psychological issue with with our president? Huh. Well, if you listen to what a list of three hundred uh, psychiatrists and psychologists have have they signed a petition making a declaration uh, that this was uh, several months ago. I read it. Um, saying that the, the president has a narcissistic personality disorder, that he fits all of the criteria for a narcissistic personality disorder. If you listen to them, who has done a lot more research on the issue than I have, um, then, yeah, you would say this, uh, our president does have some kind of a, a problem with not taking counsel from his advisors. Uh, he, he shoots from the hip. He can't help himself from counter-punching. Uh, he's never, he never rises above the fray. In fact, he creates the fray. In many ways, the, the president seems to be a demagogue, and um, he is looking. For, he enjoys being in the center stage and seeing himself as the smartest, brightest, quickest person on the planet. And he said so himself. Nobody but me could have saved Puerto Rico. Nobody but me. Uh, has the greatest words, I've got the best degree, and so forth. 
So, I mean, people can make their own assessment of of him. I don't have to come in as a psychologist to say that this guy's got a problem. He is, there's no evidence, in my opinion, of any humility whatsoever, and which is damaging, I think, to the presidency, the office of the presidency. Um, he's very in contrast, much in contrast to our previous president, who seemed to be much more humble, much more um, with a, big, a, a world view that's a worldview rather than an isolationist view and rather than being all about himself. Our current president seems to be all about himself, and I would say that's, that's problematic, yes. One more mental health question, and, and that has to do with this horrible tragedy that happened in Las Vegas in early October, this mass shooting, uh, 64-year-old Stephen Paddock opens fire, 59 people, uh, including the shooter, are killed. Over 500 are wounded. It's the, the biggest mass shooting in modern American history. Um, is, in your opinion, having counseled, I'm sure, hundreds of patients down through the years, how important is mental health? Uh, is a factor in this phenomenon of mass shootings and and you know what what as a practicing psychologist would you recommend if you had the ear of uh, folks in Washington what would you say needs to be done in terms of of mental health and, and these mass shootings to try to do something about it oh boy <laughs> that's one hell of a question um, the you know mass shootings is all the person who commits these kinds of crimes um, always has some kind of a mental health issue, uh, some problem that has been undetected, more than likely lying dormant for years uh, without knowing this gentleman. Uh, that's why so, so it becomes so important for uh, our forensic people to analyze what might have motivated him. But clearly there's a, an emotional, com uh, psychological component to that kind of behavior, whether it is brain damage, whether there's uh, some other, other mental health issue that has been undetected, undiagnosed, is yet remains to be seen. But there always is going to be some kind of, of uh, psychological problem with all of these people. And they have limited ways of expressing their frustration, their limited ways of expressing their anger, their disappointment, their, their dissatisfaction. And so it comes out in these explosive, diabolical, heinous, heinous ways. We immediately turn um, emotional distress into anger. Anger then gets expressed in disastrous ways, as we've seen. It's just it's, uh, un un indeed unfortunate. And I think that we have, have a difficult time in trying to control all of those components that is the, the, the individuals who commit these crimes, but we can do something on the other side, namely the, the controlling the, who gets access to weapons. And that becomes a whole other political issue of making, can we do something about keeping guns out of the hands of criminals, out of the hands of people who are, have a tendency for violence, or for people who have a tendency to, to commit these kinds of crimes. There are certain weapons that shouldn't be available to anybody except to the militia, and yet they're available to people who are uh, deranged in some fashion. And that's indeed unfortunate. That's something we can do something about, at least get the guns out of the hands of people. I mean, nobody should have them, have access to them. We have such easy access to these uh, weapons of mass destruction.
Ed Dreyfus is our guest today, clinical psychologist based in Los Angeles, California, and an author of many books. He's also, uh, he is a senior, and he's done some pretty amazing for, for a man of his age. You've got uh, a black belt, uh, if I got this correct, in karate at age 70. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Unbelievable. And you that, write books you know, nonstop, and uh, you, you've written how many books now? This is amazing to me. Altogether, I've written, published 11 books. Six novels and five nonfiction books. Well, let, let me ask I you decided, this: what, what would you say to people who, who you know, have reached an age where society suggests that they slow down? Because clearly, you have not done that at all. You seem to have speeded up in in your golden years. Well, here's the thing that I've learned, and what I would say to people: as I said, first of all, as I said earlier, age is on the calendar. Youthfulness is a state of mind. We, as we age, we may not be able to do all the things that we used to be able to do in the way we used to be able to do them. But that doesn't mean we can't do them at all. Let me give you an example. Um, I was an avid cyclist. I had a 21-speed bike, and I would go on long-distance bike trips and so forth uh, in different places. Well, I can't cycle up a hill a 15 to 20-degree grade the way I used to. So what did I do? I didn't quit biking, cycling. I bought an electric bike that has an electric assist. I go biking. I can still do 30, 40, 50 miles in a day, but I have a little a battery pack that gives me a little boost. It's not a moped. It just boosts the pedaling, making the pedaling easier. Um, I used to be able to do a double lindy. That's like a jitterbug, a fast dance and swing music. Now I do a single. So there's a lot of things that we can still do. We just do them differently. Even you mentioned about my karate. Um, I used to be able to kick high enough maybe to hit somebody in the chest with my leg, as my kick with the leg. Now I, can, I can't get up that high, but I can be a mean guy on kneecaps or on <laughs> ankles. <laughs> So, so you just learn how to do things differently, not the same. Don't expect yourself to do it the same way. Find another way to do it. Don't stop dancing. Just dance differently. Learn how to do different dances. Learn how to fight differently. Instead of running and jogging, maybe it's fast walking. Maybe it's just taking a long walk, a stroll. But you can keep doing what you want to do, what you enjoy doing, and not give it up. I think we've made a big mistake in telling people, as you age, you should stop doing things. No, just figure out, use your creativity and figure out another way to do the things you love doing. And not to be afraid of trying something new. I mean, in California, I just read it again today. California, we have a, 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 a senator, Senator Feinstein, 86. Now, depending on who, she's planning on running again. For, for the Senate, another six-year term. She'll be 92 by the time her term runs out, or 91, something like that. Now, she's not going to be the oldest person in the White House. I mean, in, express that, in, the, in Congress. Uh, Senator Strom Thurmond, he was, I think, 100 years old by the time he got out of the White House, out of the Congress. So she will just have to operate differently. We can all, all people, as we age... Just figure out another way to do things, another way to approach life, 
and we can still do all the things that we love doing. And in fact, as I can testify because I've done it myself, try something we never thought possible. I never thought it would be possible for me to write a book, novel, a novel. I knew I could write nonfiction, but I didn't know anything about writing dialogue. So I spent some time learning how to write dialogue, how to write a novel, what it meant to write a novel. I learned I'm taking now a chef's course online. Um, I'm learning how to be a plant-based chef. It's a six-month course online. I'm not going to go to class in the same way I used to attend a college class. I take my time. I sit in front of my screen, and I've learned how to become a plant-based chef. So there's nothing but what goes on between our ears to stop us from doing the things we love to do. We just have to figure out another way to do it. Incredible advice from a pretty incredible guy with a fantastic story. Dr. Edward Dreyfus, based in Los Angeles, still sees patients every week. He's written a bunch of books. The new one, The Midnight Shrink, set in L.A. on Skid Row, about a psychologist who sees patients from his van, encounters a serial killer. Looks like a fantastic read. You can pick it up at DreyfusBooks.net. That's DreyfusBooks.net at Amazon.com, bookstores everywhere. And you can also visit uh, Ed at EdwardDreyfus.net. That's EdwardDreyfus.net. Ed, thanks for being a part of the show, and good luck on your next challenges. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be here. Ed Dreyfus, our guest today on the Burke Allen Show. Thank you so much for listening. Wherever you are in the world, go out and make it a great day. <laughs>